As you prepare for retirement, you'll be faced with many important choices. We want you to make the right ones. Welcome to Financial Choices Matter with Charles Scott. Charles is an accredited investment fiduciary. He's well-equipped to help you make sound financial decisions. We want you to experience a meaningful retirement. On our podcast, we believe financial choices matter. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Financial Choices Matter. They do matter, and we're here with Charles Scott. He is a fiduciary advisor at Peloton Capital Management, serving you in Scottsdale. Find him online at pelotoncapital.com. That's pelotoncapital.com. Or you can call the office 480-513-1830. That's 480-513-1830. Charles, hello, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here and got some interesting things to talk about today, so it should be fun. Yes, we do. We're going to be all over the place, a lot of content to cover. So let's dive right in and see what's been happening in the news. Extra, extra, read all about it. That's right. We do like to examine what's going on in the world around us, see how that could affect our finances. So interesting one for you today, Charles. So far this year, most of the growth of the S&P 500 is driven by only six companies. Facebook, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Netflix, and Apple. Ever heard of all of those? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think most people have, for sure. Yes, indeed. So since all of those are tech companies, web-related companies, are we setting ourselves up for another downturn like the dot-com crash? I've been asked that lately from other folks, and I think the simple answer is no. And that's my opinion. So, you know, as I've always said, I'm really opinionated about stuff. I don't think so. And I think the biggest difference is, yes, tech has been the major driving force, but the technology, not for just these companies, but technology in general is driving the healthcare industry as they make advances and all kinds of other things. And so it's the engine right now that is driving the economy, not just here in the United States, but around the world too. And it's going to be volatile from time to time. But I think just those technological advances are making bigger and faster changes everywhere than we've ever had before. And the other key consideration is when we had the dot-com bubble in 2000, at the beginning of 2000, it was speculative because Amazon, for example, wasn't making money. People kept thinking, well, it's going to someday. And you know, now they are. They're very profitable companies. So people aren't betting on the come, if you will. They're buying in and investing in these companies because they are generating huge amounts of profit. Apple and Amazon have just become trillion-dollar valued companies. It's never happened before. So it's not a fluke. It might be really scary, and it could be volatile. The last couple of days in the tech sectors, they have been not happy campers. But I think it's vastly different now from before, and most of that is just truly given the fact that these companies have matured in many ways and they are truly profitable. And if they're not profitable, they're going to be profitable because technology just is changing the world maybe faster than some of us want it to, but it's the reality of what's going on. It really is crazy to see where Apple got that trillion-dollar valuation back in August and you just are able to see what you're saying is true. I mean, tech really is changing the world around us as we know it. It'll be crazy to see where we are in another 5, 10, 15 years as far as that goes. But I like that you're saying it's steady growth, volatile in the short run, but the market, of course, long term is going up. So that is comforting to hear your thoughts on that. This has been In the News. It's getting to know you time. 
Well, that sound means it is time to get to know Charles just a little bit better. Step away from some of this financial talk and just get to know your personality, Charles. Charles, (laughs) this ought to be an easy one for you. Who's the best cook you know? It's an easy answer, and it's not just because she's listening, because she's not around anymore, but it was my mom. And I say that for more than just the, you know, the comfort of having mom's home cooking. I grew up in the grocery business. Our family was in the grocery business in a smaller town in Western Washington. There were like 30,000 people between a couple of neighboring towns. And we had a grocery store. And my father, his brother, his uncle, his dad, you know, my grandfather, they were all butchers. So my dad loved food and mom could cook anything. And, you know, he would have salesmen in town for something and he'd call her up and say, hey, I'm bringing this home fixed dinner. And it was like, boom, done. And it was great. So, you know, she was a little OCD on some stuff, but she was kind of flexible when it came to cooking. And so it's easy to have the nostalgia of saying, geez, mom's home cooking was just really the best, but it was, she's really the best. She could do anything at Christmas time. For example, she would make a couple of dozen different kinds of cookies and a couple of dozen different kinds of candies. And we had people in and out of the house all throughout the holidays. Food was the business that we were in, but food was also sort of the center of the social world that we were in. My mom used to like to say, your dad lives to eat. And then she'd say, but you just eat to live. But she did a good job. And we still use some of her recipes today at home. So we haven't found anything better. And I have to tell you, she made the best pumpkin pie ever. But Costco, and I don't know if everybody, you know, around here, we know where it is. Costco's pumpkin pie tastes an awful lot like my mom's did. So that's easy to do during the holidays. It's not try to duplicate moms. Just go to Costco and grab it. But <laughs> she was good. She was really good. So it was fun growing up and, you know, being in the food business. We had all kinds of exotic chances. We were on the close to the Pacific Coast and we were in Harbor, Grace Harbor area of Western Washington. And Japanese ships would come in and we would do things like they would be buying supplies from the store. And so sometimes and we did it a couple times where the captain and the chef and some of the crew would come and go to somebody's house and we'd provide the food that they wanted. And, you know, they cook their stuff, you know, what they said, go bring us this and we'll fix it. And so we had, you know, real authentic Japanese cooking and such. That's got nothing to do with my mom, but that's just sort of the idea of how food was always in the forefront of what we did when when we were growing up. So it was a unique experience and it was really fun and really good tasting to blow. (laughs) That's the important part, right? Absolutely. And it really is cool to see how food can bring different cultures together, folks from just all these different backgrounds. There is a communal element to it. There's something about sharing a meal with someone that really just helps you to build a bond. So that's cool that you have all of those memories. And that's funny. You mentioned Costco. I know my grandfather loves going there and buying their pies. Same thing. So maybe you should have copyrighted your mom's got a patent on her recipe or something, you know, and sold it to some of these places. You could have retired early. There's a lot of those could have retired early ideas. <laughs> come after the fact. So thanks a lot. Mike. Yes. Hindsight's <laughs> twenty twenty. Oh, boy. Well, we better move on, but that is really cool to hear you talk about your mom and have all those special memories. Let's move on now to the mailbag. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. Well, that's right. We love to hear from you as the listener. We love to see what questions you have for us this week. We've got one that's come in from Beth, and Beth is in Apache Junction. Beth says, I just paid my last tuition payment. Wow. 
Congratulations, Beth. I know that's exciting. So my kids are officially off the payroll, she says. That's funny. How much life insurance do I need at this point? That's a great question. And it just depends on, I mean, our philosophy is, is there somebody now that is going to be financially dependent on you? The kids are out of school, theoretically grown. You know, they could still show up back at home sometime, but they may not have to be on your payroll. But is there someone else that's going to be financially dependent? Is there a parent that you're going to need to take care of financially? And without knowing that, it's one of those situations where it seems like a relatively simple question, but you need a bit more information to really say, yes, you do, or no, you don't. And if you do, how much do you need to have and what kind do you want to have? But there's a real simple rule of thumb that we would probably suggest for most folks. And it's the DIME methodology, D-I-M-E. And the idea of life insurance being there to relieve the future financial burden if something happens to you prematurely. The D stands for debt. You want to be able to pay off whatever outstanding debt you have, whether that might be the mortgage or credit card balances or you know that kind of thing. You know, that's a factor that goes into it. I would be income, income replacement. If you're earning $50,000 a year of income and you're 50 years old and you're going to work for the next 15 or 20 years, but you die early, you know, insurance could be used then to replace that income stream going forward. M is for a mortgage. You know, do you want to pay off the mortgage if you're gone? That ends up being a pretty simple thing. And E is education, which in this context wouldn't be applicable. But if you had younger kids and you wanted to be sure that you had enough money set aside in case something happens again prematurely, then you would fund, you know, decide how much you wanted to fund for each kid for your future education. So when you take the debt, the income replacement, the mortgage and education funding, add those numbers up and you get a total of what you should probably realistically be looking at. Other people would just say, hey, a rule of thumb could be seven times your income or 10 times your income. Eh, okay, that might work too. But you want to see perhaps how the numbers might differ based on the way you calculate it and then say, okay, well, maybe I'll split the difference between the two and I'll be close. Because most of the time we find people are definitely underinsured, especially when they're younger and are just getting started in a workplace or have young kids. You know, This is where the dime methodology comes in real handy to figuring out, geez, if something really did happen to me, this is going to have a giant financial impact on my family. And so I need to be able to take care of some of this stuff. So it's an easy rule of thumb. It's not perfect, but it's an easy rule of thumb of, you know, how do you figure out how much do I want? Then you want to go out and say, okay, what kind do I want to buy? Most people would say, I probably want to buy the most insurance coverage for the least amount of money, which would be term insurance. So, you know, that's certainly a calculation. And you also could use life insurance, a cash value kind of buildup of life insurance. And it used to be for savings, but it's gotten a lot more sophisticated. And there are some very interesting other uses that you could have for the life insurance, but it's going to be more expensive than the basic term insurance idea. So you might want a combination of those kinds of things to make sure that you've got the amount that you need. And it is a moving target and it's different for everybody. But if you have the dime conversation with someone, most of the time we'll get real close to what really matters to them. And that also gets them to thinking about, well, maybe there's something else I also want to do with this insurance if I'm gone sooner than expected. So, you know, that's our outlook on it. That's the way we approach the issue and just make sure, are we doing, is it serving the purpose however the client defines it? So Beth, it's whatever is most important to you. We would help you figure out how much do I really need to have? And if there's nobody financially dependent and you don't have anything and you don't need to worry about it, then you maybe don't need insurance. I mean, we've had several people where they've come in and said, you know, I'm single, my house is paid for, I've got this and I've got that and I have no debt. And it's like, 
Someone's trying to sell me insurance. And I'm saying, why? You don't need it. You know, because in that specific situation, they really didn't. Well, that just goes to show, Beth, why it really is important to think through your specific situation. And of course, here on this podcast, we can talk all about the subject, but we really can't get into the nitty gritty of your situation. Of course, that's what Charles is there for. If you'd like to come in and visit with him and we gave out the number at the beginning, we'll do it again at the end of the podcast. But you can certainly come in and sit down and talk about your specifics of what you're going through. But that's a special time with the kids being off the payroll like that. Congratulations and congratulations to them as well. Sounds like they've graduated and are moving on in life, which is always exciting. So we wish you the best. And with that, let's move into our main topic. You've hit on some points, I think, here actually with that email question that had come in in the mailbag, Charles, and that's that retirement really is more than just one big portfolio, right? You have to think about things like life insurance and whether you have kids still in college as you're getting into retirement. So it really is more than just investments. I want to take just a couple of topics that you need to really understand. And if you don't, you need to work with an advisor who can help you to do so. These are some topics that you're going to certainly hit on in retirement and just need to know what's going on. The first being social security. That's not necessarily the elephant in the room, but that's potentially there for everybody in some form or another. And the big question always is, well, when do I take it? When should I take it? And again, it's going to be very dependent on your unique circumstances. So, you know, if you ask me the question, the answer I would give you back is it depends because that's really the way, you know, that's the best answer there is in financial planning. Trust me, it depends. And then find out more about the person. Most of the time, our advice, unless you absolutely need to, is that you probably want to take it as late as you possibly can afford to take it. Can you wait till you're 70? If your full retirement age is 66, if you wait four more years, you're going to get an 8% bump in the benefit that's going to be paid to you. And it's going to also have some adjustments potentially if there's a cost of living increase given. So I don't know that there's any 8% guaranteed rate of return on the dollars that are out there in the investment world, but you can do that when their social security is there if you can delay it a little bit longer. The other question that ends up being, well, how do I integrate my spouse with this whole thing? What are some spousal options? You know, what might be the best course of action to take? And that ends up being way more complicated than candidly we have time to cover here today because there are a whole bunch of variations. And if you do this, then that would happen. And if you do something slightly different, something else would happen in the office my partner, my spouse, Sherry, is an absolute expert in Social Security, and she could run any scenario you could think of and knows how to maximize, if that's what you want to do, the spousal benefit that's going to be there. We just were talking with a couple earlier this week, and he's older and she's significantly younger, and so it's creating a different scenario for them to optimize, maximize her future spousal benefit because he's 15 years older than she is the husband, and they don't necessarily need the income. So we're going to run it out to 70, then he'll start. And that's going to also give her the opportunity to maximize that issue. Social security gets complicated. There's like 2,700 plus rules to social security. So there's usually never just a real simple answer. And the other issue that comes up is, and people are surprised by the fact that sometimes they get taxed on their social security benefit. It's like, this was a tax that I paid for the money going into this social security bucket. How come I getting taxed again? And it's just a function of the way that they changed the laws in 1984, that depending on your other income over the course of a year, some of your social security benefits could be taxed. And the more you make, the theory is the less you really need this benefit. 
So they're going to extract some additional taxes for it. So it's a subject that everybody's got questions about. And I have yet to understand or know that when someone walked in the office, you know, they knew everything they needed to know about Social Security. And we have sent clients to the Social Security office with a, here's the claiming strategy that you want. Go in there and tell them this. And they have come back and said, the people there said, you can't do that. And we have sent them back again. Sometimes Sherry will go with them and say, okay, here's the rule. Here's the section of the code that allows you to do this. And the people at Social Security who are the nicest people in the world, but don't always know all the answers. We've had them say, oh, well, I didn't know that. So, you know, a lot of moving parts to Social Security. So it's not just a real simple solution. You need to talk to somebody that really understands the details of it because you can make a real what you think is a really good choice and it could come back to bite you later it really could social security is one of those really complex topics and another thing you need to think about when you're planning for retirement is whether you're going to have a pension with your job now i know in some areas pensions are kind of going the way of the dodo but they do still exist for a lot of government workers and then some existing companies especially jobs that are industrial jobs a lot of times you know factories will have that set up as well and so something you need to think of is whether you're going to take that lump sum buyout option with your pension and you also need to think about spousal survivor benefits which i know you talked about what that looks like with social security talk a little bit about that with pensions now as well well, and with the pension, it's not in some instances, especially when you're talking about, you know, spousal survivor benefits, it's not a lot different. It, it guess it is and it isn't. When you make a pension choice, you have two options, basically, when you're going to become entitled to it. You can take a lifetime income. And when you do that, you're going to need to decide whether you're just doing it on your life or on your spouse's life and, you know, together and how much of your pension benefit do you then give to your spouse when you pass away? So the more you divide it up, the less you're going to get. I mean, if you get all of yours and she gets you know, half of yours going forward, it's going to change how much you get in the beginning. So it's a little more cut and dried conversation about that. That's if you were taking a lifetime benefit option. But if you're going to take a lump sum, then you want to take a look and say, okay, so if I take a lump sum, it's going to come out and you just would roll it into an IRA potentially. And I'm not going to have a lifetime guarantee. Theoretically, I could run out of money if I don't invest it wisely over the years coming forward. And so there's not always a perfectly straightforward answer to this. But, you know, again, you want to sit down with somebody that can say, okay, what's my lump sum amount going to be if I take withdrawals out of that on a reasonable basis going forward? Is there the expectation that these dollars will last as long as I can have a guaranteed income stream? You know, if the company just goes out and buys a lifetime annuity on my life or on two lives or however you want to slice it and dice it. So, you know, some people would say, well, you can take the lump sum, then go out and buy your own lifetime annuity. My experience has been you're going to probably almost always get a better rate of return, a bigger dollar payout to you from the company itself because they're buying these lifetime annuities in bulk. And so they're going to get a better rate than you would if you went out there individually. That's just the reality of, again, not as many moving parts as like with social security, but still you want to make sure you make the optimal choice for you. And that's going to depend on your circumstances. So again, today's conversation ends up being an, it depends conversation, but it's really true. It depends. Charles, another issue that you need to think about when planning for retirement, questions of health, right? You need to think about long-term care. What's your health situation like health insurance, et cetera, et cetera. The list kind of seems to go on and on, doesn't it? 
It does. And again, this is one of those complicated areas that when you sort of scratch the surface, it might not seem too tough and detailed. But once you get down into it, it can get really squirrely after a while. You know, what kind of risk do you have? I mean, Fidelity Investments does a study every year. And I think the most recent one they came up with, it was a a couple age 65 today is probably going to be out of pocket 200 and I don't know the exact number, like $275,000 over their life expectancy. That's out of pocket. That doesn't count what your insurance pays for, what Medicare pays for, or anything else. Those are just out of pocket healthcare costs. So it's something you really, really need to plan for. And a lot of people don't want to talk about long-term care because they feel, well, well, it'll never happen to me, but it happens to 70% of the people. They're going to need some kind of long-term care for some period of time. So it's statistically impossible for it not to potentially happen to you. And it's just, have you set aside funds that are available? Have you made those decisions early on in your planning going forward to take a look at, you know, how do I deal with this inevitability? People are living longer and medical advances are happening. So life expectancy continues to increase. And that sort of brings back the retirement question of, am I really, is it really reasonable for me to say, I'm going to stop working when I'm 65, just because that's kind of always the way it's been. If I'm going to live to be 95, that's a long time compared to, you know, my life expectancy is 75, which it was a couple of generations ago. So healthcare, food, housing are the three biggest issues in retirement. And healthcare is the one that seems to be the most out of control and the most uncontrollable. And it seems to be going up faster than all the rest of the expenses. And it's a scary proposition. So it's just how prepared can you possibly be? How much planning ahead of time can you be knowing that you're never gonna you're never gonna get the answer perfectly right, but at least you can be as prepared as you possibly can afford to be. And so, you know, there's just all kinds of issues that need to be factored into it. It's a very complicated subject. And, you know, I could talk for an hour on this one alone, but it's like, okay, just know you need to plan. And no, it's probably just going to cost more than you ever think it would. So that's maybe not comforting, but it's the reality. Yeah, Charles, it is kind of cruel that we have these notes we have to stick to and that we you know, put these couple of topics within one podcast. And really, each of these could be their own podcast. You could go for a while. They're incredibly complex. And as you're listening today, it's possible that you really have more questions now that you've listened than you did when you first started the podcast. Charles, for folks who have questions about any of these topics, Social Security, pensions, Healthcare, heck, we didn't even get to lifestyle changes as they're going to happen in retirement, what to do with real estate. Perhaps you're in the situation of the mailbag question that came in today where you're trying to figure out how much life insurance you need. Perhaps you still have a kid in college, kind of like Beth, trying to figure that one out. With all these questions that could have been generated by listening to this podcast, what do you have to offer folks who want to come in and visit with you and just kind of get some answers? Call us and make an appointment. Come on in. There's no cost for that. There's no obligation. There's no expectation other than we'll try to help you answer some of these questions as much as possible. You know, if you want to get some comprehensive planning done, we're certainly available. That's what we do. And we can do that. But in the beginning, it's just like, you know, come in, sit down, have a conversation. Let's see if you think we know what we're doing. And let's see if we're even remotely a decent fit for each other. And from that, we can, you know, either move forward or not. But ideally, these conversations like the podcast help people and give them more information. And sometimes it just makes it more confusing. So, you know, we're here to help. That's what this is all about. 
If you'd like to schedule a visit with Charles Scott and his team at Peloton Capital Management, you can do so by calling 480-513-1830. That's 480-513-1830. Come in for a visit, get answers to some of the many questions that you've probably had listening to the podcast today. Get a complimentary review of your specific financial situation. I think that's important to mention because we can talk all day on these topics, but we really can't get into many of the specifics without learning a little bit more about you and what you have going on. So again, if you like that complimentary review, just come in for a visit with Charles Scott and the team at Peloton Capital Management. To schedule your visit, call 480-513-1830. Again, the number to call is 480-513-1830. That's 480-513-1830. This is Financial Choices Matter. Financial planning and investment advisory services are provided by Peloton Capital Management Limited, a state-registered investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. No one should assume the information presented here serves as a receipt of or substitute for personalized individual advice provided by Peloton Capital Management. For more information, visit www.pelotoncapital.com.